0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues Podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. David Richards. Hello. I'm Charles Max Wood from DevChat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Julia Evans. Hello. Hi. Uh, now, uh, you did some awesome work on RB Spy. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we do, do you want to introduce yourself real quick?
1: Sure. I'm a software developer. I work uh, at Stripe on building infrastructure and networking. Um, and uh, on the side, I write a blog, uh, and I write zines, and I write profilers. Apparently, uh
0: huh. <laughs> I
1: do a lot. I don't
0: know. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and you've you've been on the show before. I don't remember exactly what episode number, but we'll put that in the show notes. So yeah, year or two ago.
1: Can...
0: Yep. In the meantime, do you want to just kind of give us the elevator pitch for RB Spy, what it is and how it works?
1: Yeah. So, where it comes from is I got mad that. So, let's say you have a Ruby program um, and it's using all of your CPU mm-hmm. uh, and you don't know why.
0: That never happens.
1: Uh, <laughs> that would <laughs> never happen. <laughs> um, and so, um, you have a variety of ways to figure it out, right? You could guess <laughs> using your gigantic brain. <laughs> Uh, Or um, you could sort of, like, install a profiler and restart it and try to reproduce the issue. And I thought that this was was kind of upsetting um, because I have this attitude where I feel really entitled to know what my computer is doing at all times. Like, I feel like I have a sort of a right, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, if my Ruby program is using a lot of CPU, I should be able to know why, right? Like, I have root. Why can't I just know? Um and so I wrote spy to answer that question, right? To say like for any running Ruby program, um, I want to be able to know why it's using the CPU right now.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I mean, it, it's it's hard, especially in production when exactly. it takes off on your server. It's like, well, it runs okay at, on my machine, you know, at, at the office, but yeah, then just off it goes in production, and it's like, what is going on here?
1: Yeah, um, and this is something that like existed in other programming languages. For example, it exists in Java, right? Like Java has these really great production profiling tools, um, which you can attach to a running Java program. And so I thought that it was kind of unfair that like Java should have better tools than Ruby. Um, Java still has better tools than Ruby, but I was like, if Java can have this and if C can have this, then Ruby should have this, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. So.
0: Well, and I so, see, I remember that there were other tools that you could install and it would, at a low level, like capture input and then send it out but rv spy doesn't work that way does it
1: right so the, the existing tool um is that this great tool called stack Prof, which is the gem that you can include in your program and at any point you can start uh profiling and and basically like capturing data about what your program is doing um and so you just run like stack and stack when you want to stop capturing data um and it works really well i, I really recommend it if that's sort of the interface you want right um the only issue with it is that like if you have to have installed the gem and included it in your program and sort of added some code in your program to use it um which you have to have done in advance obviously
0: yeah well and i i know a few people have mentioned that it's affected their performance some that's possible so um, so so how does rb rb spy work
1: then? right um so rb spy Instead, RBSpy is a separate program, so it's not a gem at all. Um, it's not written in Ruby, even, like, there's no Ruby code in RBSpy. It's, so it's, it's a separate process, um, and basically what it does is it reads your Ruby process memory from the outside to figure out what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Because Ruby is an interpreted language, right, as we all know. And so basically what it does is, is it looks at, like, the current state of the Ruby interpreter, and it just reads memory, like, out of, like it's it sort of like the Ruby interpreter is a C program, so it's like I know that the Ruby interpreter is a C program, and I know how the Ruby interpreter works because I don't know, like we can look at the source code right, and uh it reads memory out of the out of the Ruby interpreter's memory and figures out what the current stack is of the Ruby program
2: so in a real world scenario, when would you use something like this, and what kind of data can you get back from Ruby Spy to kind of troubleshoot or debug the application or the slow points?
1: So we can start with what kind of data it gives you. Um, when you run RBSPY, it gives you this sort of top-like output that just shows you the top functions that are running and that are using most of the CPU. And that's something that I think not all profilers will give you, and that makes it a lot easier, right? Because everyone is used to using top to figuring out, like, for figuring out which programs are using the most CPU right? on, like, on a server. And so RvSpy sort of gives you the same thing, but for your Ruby program. It, but it, it can also generate a bunch of other visualizations. Um, it can generate this visualization called a flame graph, which is a little hard to explain in words. Um, but basically, it shows you which functions the program is spending the most time in.
0: Oh, interesting. So does it give you actual method names then? I didn't actually get a chance to run it.
1: Yeah, it gives you method names. So it tells okay. you like which method Yeah, which methods are being used the most. So it'll be like, oh, you're spending 20% of your time in this this method, 30% of your time in this method. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, I can see that being really helpful on applications that are just doing a massive amount of calculations on a request that aren't really able to be cached in some way or another because the data is always refreshed and there's always optimizations that we can do in our code. So being able to narrow down through the 1000 methods, where your biggest bang for the buck is going to be, you know, that's extremely helpful.
1: Yeah. One of my biggest goals with RBSFI was to make it easy to use, um, like to give you, start giving you like information right away and to generate sort of like really good visualizations by default, because I know that most people don't do profiling on a regular basis, right? And so I think what happens a lot of the time with profiling tools that tell you like why your program is slow is people... Like there's like this really steep learning curve to learning how to use them. And then people will just won't learn how to use them and they'll just leave their program being slow, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because they don't know what to do. I don't know if that's what you've experienced.
0: Well, I know people that pay for like New Relic and things like that to get some of the performance information that they gather. And again, it's an installed agent in your program. And the thing that's interesting is, yeah, they never look at it. (laughs) <laughs> they never look at it until somebody really <laughs> complains. This is really slow, and so it, it is interesting that way. I'm, I'm a little bit curious when it tells you which method is taking a long time. Uh, does it break it down as far as any other method calls you call within it? So, for example, I, I guess it, what what I'm asking is, does it does it look at the stack and say, okay, this is this method is inefficient, but it's because this other method you call inside of it is inefficient.
1: Yeah, it captures the whole stack.
0: So then you know where to optimize at what level? Yeah. Huh. And so, so how does it do well, look- it if it's running alongside it? I read the web page and it said that it it looks at the memory that Ruby is using. Uh, but don't you need privileged access to get access to that?
1: Yeah, so Ruby needs to run as root. Okay. Unless, so the, the only case where it doesn't need to run as root is let's say um you have like, like you're running a test suite or something and you want to know why your test suite is slow. um You can run like RV spy record Ruby like rake test or whatever. And then that doesn't need like if you if you're profiling a sub process like that you that you started with RV spy, it doesn't need to run as root on Linux.
0: But uh, even then, I'm imagining that it could store things in memory in any way possible. So how do you actually know what you're looking at? Does, does Ruby store things in memory in a pretty easy to parse way? Or did you have to do a whole bunch of work to say, Oh, this actually
1: means that mm, I, I had to do a lot of work to get it to work. Um, like different versions of Ruby also don't work the same way. Um, so r 5 supports Ruby 1.9 through 2.5. Um, and Ruby 1.9 is not the same as Ruby 2.5, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> at all. Um, and and okay. more more importantly, like they're not the same internally, right? Like I don't I don't really care about the language semantics. Um, I just care about like how. But it, it turns out that actually the differences weren't that big. I don't know if you're if you're interested in the sort of gnarly details of how RV works internally. But I'm Absolutely. Happy to talk about okay, great. Let's talk about it. <laughs> all right. So there's this struct, like okay, so in the Ruby interpreter, um you have these C structs, right? Um, so, for example, like there's a struct representing the current thread, which has a pointer to the stack. Basically, what our does is it figures out like where the memory containing the information about the current thread is. Like it figures out which address it is. Um, and on Linux, something you can do is if you have an address in the memory of another program, um, you can say, hey, go get me what is at that address in memory. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like there's like a system call you can use called process vm readv that you can call to access the memory of any other process.
0: Yeah, but how do you know what size to pull? Right, you that so you get the right struct and you know stuff that you can actually parse.
1: Yeah, how do you know what size? That's that's exactly the right question. Um, so this these these structs are defined in Ruby header files, like in the Ruby interpreter, and since you have the source code to the struct every any struct is always going to be the same like if you have the source code you you can know exactly what size it's going to be um because every c compiler like the same architecture will always compile it the same way so you can say like because i have the source code i know that this is going to be like let's say i don't know 900 bytes or whatever right Mm -hmm. and so i know like because i have the struct definition if i know where it is in memory i know that i need to read 900 bytes to get that and i can know that like when i compile my program. So I actually have like all of these struct definitions. I have like, I would say 20 megabytes of struct definitions in my program that I like auto-generated.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: wow. wow. Just, just so that it knows where to find everything. It's written in Rust, RvSpy R- is written in Rust and there's this great Rust, libra- Rust library um, that can convert C struct definitions into Rust struct definitions. Okay. Because I don't know C.
0: <laughs> I know C, but what you did might be easier.
1: I think what I is, <laughs> is easier. <laughs> so
2: with RBSpy, are you able to attach it to a Rails process? So like a Puma application to kind of see what's going on in a Rails application? Or is this really m- more meant for uh, Ruby scripts?
1: You can attach to any Ruby process. It doesn't care what kind of Ruby process it is, right? Like from its perspective, it's like you're using the Ruby interpreter. And so as long as it's using the Ruby interpreter, it doesn't matter.
2: Okay.
0: So, let's say that uh we're watching the Ruby interpreter i'm I'm a little curious then to to dive in and in. i I guess what I'm looking at is sometimes my uh, performance issues are Ruby or you know some of the calculations I have in there, and sometimes my issues are like the database, and as far as the Ruby interpreter goes, it's just going to be sitting there waiting for i o until it gets information back from the database. So, is that a blind spot that you're going to see in RB Spy and you're going to have to use some other profiling tool for your database?
1: That's a great question. So, I think what you're getting at um, is that there are two ways to do profiling for any profiler. Um, you can do sort of profiling like based on when it's using the CPU, right? And I you can mean, say, okay, like, um, so, so StackProf, it, when you use StackProf, there, there are these two modes. You can do CPU or RAW, I think is what it calls it. Is that right? No, you can do CPU time or wall time. Um so wall time is like sample every whatever 2 milliseconds no matter what and CPU is only pay attention when it's actually using the CPU. And spy actually doesn't support doing only CPU profiling. Well anyway, it doesn't. And so if your if your program is spending time using the database it actually will pay attention to that. Um because it just like it just samples on a schedule and it doesn't really care if your program is is using the CPU or is using a database. Does that make sense? Mhm. Um, But that's a really important general principle to be aware of with all profilers is the difference between like CPU and like wall clock time. I think wall clock means like there's a clock on the wall (laughs) and here. Every time it ticks, you take a sample, right? No matter what. Well,
0: your computer clock has a speed and that essentially translates to, you you know, however long it takes it to run one cycle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: So it's, it's similar. It's just, your operating system is giving your program, in this case, RbSpy, some idea of how much time has elapsed between, you know, one moment and the other.
3: Yeah, I guess as long as it's relative, you know, that that gives me an idea of what I've got to do. Or it's probably pretty obvious. I was looking at some of these icicle graphs you have, and it—if I had written the code or I understood how the code ran—that uh, would direct me very, very beautifully into the right, the right kind of activity. Like, oh yeah, it's—it's it's this work i'm doing over here that's really slowing me down
1: yeah are you looking at the graphs in the readme or in the docs or
3: uh i was in the docs just going through how how you did that and that that was very intuitive how because i guess that's been my issue as well is that changing context into like a profiler is so far from my my day-to-day thinking that Having something this this useful, you know, and this easy to understand, like oh, I get it. <laughs> like I, I was uh, not thinking clearly when I wrote that part of the code or whatever. But I, but it's easier to get into, I guess. Um, it looks easier to get into as I'm looking at it.
1: Yeah, and I think um, I think what you're looking at is there's this page in the docs called "Using Flame Graphs," um, which has a bunch of examples of these graphs of, of the graphs that by generates, um, and yeah. yeah, what they mean
0: so when you get the output do you have to run it through something to generate flame graphs or
1: Uh, you don't they're generated by default so it'll just uh, generate an svg and you can just open that svg in your browser and look at it right away
0: gotcha is that the most effective way to look at the data that comes out of rb spy or should you actually try and read the output or is that crazy talk
1: it'll show you on the docs homepage there's this gif um, which you can see, which shows you the default output, which is like what it will show you while it's profiling, um, which just shows you like what percentage of time it spends in each function. And then there are two visualization formats basically. Um, one of them is a flame graph. And the other one is this call grind output, which you can view, like use a tool like Kcash grind or something mm-hmm. um, to uh, to parse. And then there's also the raw output, but the raw output is like, a three megabyte JSON file, which I would not recommend trying to read like with your eyes. Yeah. The main output is a flame graph, which is, and it's where I would recommend starting.
0: Gotcha. Why did, why did you opt for a flame graph instead of maybe some of the other visualization formats out there?
1: It's actually the, I would say it's the only like visual visualization format that I know for profiling data. Like, I don't know if you know of another one, but I don't know of any others.
0: I don't know. I'm not an expert.
1: It's, Become, I think, a little bit of a standard for profiling. Mm, um, okay. And then there's, of course, like the like, you've spent like this percentage of time, like the sort of total time and self time in each function, like which, like how much of the time was spent like in this function itself and how much time was spent in this function and maybe like other functions that it called. Um, and it, it can also, of course, generate that. But I find the flame graph is sort of a richer output and it's often more useful um, than just like a list of percentages.
0: So when you look at the flame graph, then how do you determine what to do next?
1: So basically in the flame graph, you'll see every function has sort of a width and the width it is like, is what percentage of the time was spent in that function. Um, so basically you just look for really wide parts of the flame, flame graph. Like yeah. you look for what's big visually. Um, and then you think about whether that's something that you could optimize or not. Um, I don't know if you've ever looked at one,
0: but I'll admit that I really haven't.
1: Uh, there, there. If you go to the docs and using flame graphs, you'll see one, and I, I give an explanation there.
0: Of, oh, yep, yeah, I didn't click on that link. Um,
1: towards towards the bottom in the docs, I have an example of like of Jekyll um, and a flame graph of what Jekyll is doing, and you can sort of see like it spends maybe eighty percent of its time. Jekyll is the static site generator for Ruby, right? Mm-hmm. And it spends maybe eighty percent of its time in this, fun- in this function called render document, which is I would say unsurprising, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know much about Jekyll, but it makes sense that it spends almost all this time rendering. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think for a Rails application, I was just kind of playing this out while you guys were talking. And I think the main problem I would run into is just the information overload or the lack of context to what I'm really looking for. Because you're getting a lot of the, you know, any any request in Rails is going to go through so much before it actually hits your part of the code. You know, you have the, the active support, the action controllers, and all of these other components that just aren't normally visible. Is there any kind of uh, settings that you can do to kind of limit it, to not put out any kind of gems? So maybe it would just hide anything that's in the .gems folder? Or is it basically just going to give you the whole shebang and you have to filter through it?
1: It does give you everything, Um, but I think the, the way I like to think about it is if you have a really serious performance problem in your application, like, for example, something is taking, like, 10 seconds when it should be taking zero seconds or almost zero seconds, often the answer will really jump out at you, right? Like, you'll have this, like, function where you're spending all your time, and then maybe it will be a bunch of Braille stuff on top, and then you'll get to the bottom, and you'll see something which is in your code, and you'll be like, oh, that's it, right? And so I guess what I would say is like, if something is really slow, usually it'll be right there.
0: And when you say it's right there, you're just going to see the name of the method? or Yeah,
1: you'll just see the name of the method.
0: Does it give you any other information that you can use to say, this is probably what's taking so long?
1: It gives you the, the line number,
0: uh huh, which can be helpful. And then I guess the widest stripe underneath it is probably the thing that's taking up the most time inside of that. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, so essentially and just, then you can say, okay, this piece right here. Yeah, if I can optimize this, I can overall optimize the the method. Yeah. Huh. Do you have any success stories? People who have used this to great effect?
1: I do. I have this whole GitHub issue um, of success stories. Um, can I read you one? Go for They're it. really happy. One person has this delightful success story where they say that they have this Rails app that's more than 10 years old um, and their test suite was taking like 15 minutes to run in CI. And then they ran R-R-B spy on it, found out they like improperly configured a gem um, and they was spending too much time doing like password encryption um, in tests. And then they brought their test time to, like down by like 30%. Oh,
0: wow. Wow.
3: You know, I, I can't imagine working on a, a Rails app that's more than 10 years old. And and I, I certainly couldn't imagine trying to work on it without something like like a good profiler. Because <laughs> so much has changed in how you keep up and how do you actually look. And, and a lot of the documentation will be harder to find. Um, so that's a, wow, 30%. Yeah.
1: What else do I have? Someone else says they've used it to resolve production incidents, like where they had a misbehaving Rails server in production and then they generated an, a graph, immediately found the problem and then saved themselves like hours of downtime because they could just figure out what was wrong using information instead of sort of trying to blindly guess.
0: Huh. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah,
3: that for me has been, when it's in production, <laughs> if it went to production, um, then my... My brain doesn't turn off, but it certainly slows down. I get pretty jittery, you know. Um, so I just usually have to take a breath and slow things down to figure out what's going on in production. So I'd imagine I wouldn't try to guess, you know, that much, especially if, if it's a, an app that really can't be down. Um, <laughs> that sounds like another amazing use case to be able to, to say, all right, well, this is actually what's going
0: on right here, right now. So let's focus on what's happening. And, um, yeah. So how do people usually get it out onto production servers? Do they just put it in a Docker container if that's how they're deploying or um, just download the the app?
1: You can just download. There's a binary on GitHub, which you can download. There's also, yeah, there, there's a binary on GitHub that you can download. I suspect that's what people do, though I don't know for sure. If you're on a Mac and you're developing it on your laptop, you can install it with Homebrew. You can just do brew install or base buy. Are you using this at Stripe? Yeah, a little bit. We we have it installed in production, and people use it sometimes to look at what's going on. That's probably uh, a
3: good good indication both ways. You know, if it's if if you only if it's something you want to have when you need it, and you don't need to have it all the time necessarily. Um, just a, a wise use, but you don't want to try to figure that out if <laughs> if it's not ready.
1: Yeah, I think of it as a tool that I want people to use, not. Like, so, like sometimes you build an open source tool and you want people to use it all the time, right? And that's not how I think about this tool. Like I want people to use it like when they need it, <laughs> get the job done and then not use it again until they need it again.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well that makes yeah, sense. I was playing around with RBSpy Spy a bit and I think on a lot of the scripts or services I write that are not really dependent on a lot of other things like a Rails application is, It's extremely useful to see, especially if you need something that's extremely performant, to find out where your gaps are. For Rails applications, one thing that I found that I really like is uh, it's a Google Chrome extension called Rails Panel. And it gives you in your dev tools a little Rails tab that gives you a lot of insight into the Rails application and specifically around the requests that you're making. So that's one that I've relied on in the past to kind of troubleshoot why is something going really slow? And that, in combined with the, uh, I think it's called the Rails Mini Profiler or Rack Mini Profiler. Yeah. Uh, those are two tools that I've used quite extensively on Rails applications. So is RBSpy limited to only Ruby processes, or could you technically uh, attach it to something like Python?
1: Great question. So RBSpy is just for Ruby, but there's a program called PySpy, which someone else wrote, which is just like RBSpy, but for Python. All right. (laughs) So you can use that. Um, You can just do pip install py-spy.
2: So, which one came first? Was it uh, PySpy
1: or RB Spy? <laughs> RB Spy came first. Uh, All right. PySpy is, in, is inspired by RB Spy. Um, and oh, cool. did a, he did a really incredible job. I think that actually its UI might be better than RB Spy's. Like, I think he saw some opportunities for improvement. Um, it's, it's really nice. I really recommend it.
0: Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org.
1: And there's also a PHP spy that Etsy wrote, um that will let you spy on PHP programs. People still use PHP? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> works, just... right? like, PHP is really important. <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have a neighbor that is really big into Laravel, and we have conversations all the time that basically is him raving about well, Laravel just has this awesome feature. Yeah, Rails invented that. Oh, well, it has this other awesome feature. Yeah, that's in Rails too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, you know, in PHP's defense, I think that it has come a long way since the like version four that I was familiar with many years ago. I think they're up to like version seven or maybe eight now or something. And it sounds like they've done some pretty good work with the language.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, like something I'm excited about with these different profilers like PySpy and RBSpy and PHPSpy is to instead of like having arguments about like, oh, which language is better than this other language, just be like, what cool tools does this language have mm-hmm. that we could import into, into, for example, like Ruby or Python, right? Like where RBSpy comes from is from looking at, for example, Java, Java's profiling tools, right? And like, sometimes I hear Ruby profilers make fun of Java, but Java has way better tooling, developer tooling in a lot of ways than Ruby, right? Like, like around, like figuring out what's happening in production. Um, And so it's, I feel like it's more about like, what can we learn (laughs) from other languages and not like who's better than who?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting in that respect. And PHP is used far more widely than Ruby is. And so you got interesting things going there. The other thing is, is your, your point about Java and, um, the other community that I talk to that also has pretty awesome tooling is .NET. Mm, right. They, they both have large companies behind them that are pushing those ecosystems forward. So with Java, it's Oracle. With .NET, it's Microsoft. Um, you know, and then with JavaScript, you've got a whole bunch of tooling that's emerging, and a lot of that comes out of efforts by Facebook, Google. You know, some of these other larger companies that are pushing JavaScript ecosystems.
1: Yeah. And Ruby doesn't have that in the same way.
0: Not Um, not the same way.
1: Yeah. This project was actually funded by an open source fellowship, um, which is the only reason it exists.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? I saw that in the FAQs and I was going to ask about it, but I kind of wanted to get the technical stuff covered. And I think we've done that.
1: So the way that this project came to be um, is I did a prototype in 2016 at some point where I was kind of playing around with it to see if I could get it to work. But, and, and I got something which sort of, you know when you build a prototype and it works on your laptop and you're like, this will literally not work on any other computer? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so it was kind of in, in that state, right? Um, and I put it on GitHub and some people tried it and uh, unsurprisingly, it did not work on anyone else's computer, really, right? Like, it was, it was very fragile and didn't work that well. And, and then I saw this, this ad for an open source fellowship being like, hey, do you want to get paid to work on an open source project for three months? And I thought, of course I do. <laughs> That would be amazing. Um, and so I applied and I said, hey, I built this prototype of this program. And I think it could be really great for the Ruby community if I could build it out into, you know, something real that actually works on other people's computers and maybe has cross-platform support and all this stuff. And so this program is by Segment. They're an analytics company. And so I applied because it's good to apply to things, even if you don't think they'll accept you. Um, and then they accepted me. And I took a sabbatical from work. I took three months off work. And I did the project. Nice. And Stripe just let you take three
0: months off and no big deal.
1: Yeah. Well, I asked my manager six months in advance, which I think made a difference. Right. (laughs) Right. I wasn't just like, hello, I'm going away next week. Right. (laughs) But I asked him in June and then I did it. I did the project in January, like the following January.
3: Gotcha. Nice.
1: And I feel like it was a really nice way. Cause like, I didn't, this wasn't like the kind of thing that I could do full time. Right. Like it's not like it it was big enough to spend three months on but not like that big of a project at the same time so it was really nice to just like take some time off work do this project and then go back to work right so you just got a check from them yeah yeah i just got a check from
2: segment very cool so on the topic of profilers, I think the worst one that I've come across is built by Apple and Xcode. Have you ever tried <laughs> developing a iOS application and then you run into a problem with performance or something or your phone locking up? Xcode just does a horrible job at giving you insight as to what the heck is going on. Mm, I've never used it. You're not missing out. But I would be <laughs>
0: playing a lot about those tools.
2: <laughs> uh, I have done quite a bit of Ruby Motion in the past, and I would be interested to see how that could work with RB Spy because I mean, performance on an iOS device, you know, typically it's going to run decent, but I mean, there's always situations where you know, an edge case or whatever, where someone's hitting something that you just did not realize. And I don't think that Ruby Motion really has any kind of profile utility to really dig in to see what's going on. I think partially that's because it's compiling it down when it's running on the simulator or on the phone. But surely there, you know, would have to be something there. I don't know how RubyMotion works. It's a lot of magic, I think. <laughs> uh, that's some pretty cool stuff.
1: And my impression is that iOS is pretty locked down. And so I'm pretty sure something like RBSPY, where you're trying to like read the memory of another process, would not fly on iOS from a security yeah. perspective.
0: <laughs> Probably not. The other thing is, is that RubyMotion statically compiles it to the Objective-C runtime. And mm. so you wouldn't be monitoring and interpreted language in the same way that you do when you're talking about something like a
1: MRI process somewhere. Right. So are probably more appropriate to use like an Objective-C profiler or something.
2: What's funny about that though, Chuck, is that when you had the simulator launch, you can actually uh, like command click or alt click on a element to bring that element into your command line and interact with it while it's still running in the simulator using Ruby code. So there is a oh, little bit of Ruby going on in the background here while it's running on the iOS device or at least some kind of bridge that you're able to uh, talk back and forth. Huh. I don't know. We'll have to get Amir on here to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we're,
0: we're talking to him next month, so we'll ask him, why does an RB spy work with your stuff, dude? <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about having it work with something like Rubinius or some of the other interpreters out there i know that java has a bunch of tooling and you can kind of get lower level stuff when you know when you're running against the jvm for jruby mm-hmm. but uh, rubinius is, is kind of an interesting animal that, would it take a lot of work to make it work with rubinius what's rubinius so rubinius is another uh, ruby interpreter mm-hmm. uh, there's all there are also a few others out there like Truple ruby
1: but yeah oh interesting it should be possible Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, I mean, you would need to, like all all of the core parts of RBSPY that like look into the Ruby interpreter and look at which structs it's using would obviously need to be different, right? Um, Right. They they would work the same. Like, I mean, the the basic structure would be the same. I think if someone wanted to do it, I mean, I would accept pull requests to do that. Someone contributed Windows support recently, uh, which was amazing. So it should be totally possible.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I don't know if they use the same structs or not.
1: I'm sure they don't.
0: Okay. I haven't looked at the internals of uh, Ruby interpreters to know whether or not or how much they have in common. So yeah. speaking of which, we should probably get somebody from that project on as well. We haven't talked to them in a while either. Learning about the internals of that sounds really interesting. Yep. So what are you working on adding to RV Spy now?
1: Not much. The, the The main thing that needs to happen at some point is I need to try to figure out how to get Ruby 2.6 for it, because that's going to come out. Mm-hmm. Almost all of the development on RBS5 recently has been by other contributors, which has actually been amazing, right? Like somebody last month, like I just mentioned, contributed Windows support, um, which I thought was, was delightful. And it's been really fun to see people just come into the project and make major contributions to it.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'll pitch a suggestion here some kind of built in web server into RBSpy, where you're able to go to your local host or a port to kind of see a real-time log or graph or a summary of the things that are getting hit a lot. So you're not kind of restricted your, to your console, but you can also see it within a browser.
1: I think that's a great idea. Yeah, someone else suggested the same thing. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, and if the flame graph is an SVG, it shouldn't be terribly hard to just embed it.
1: That's right. Yeah, I think that would work really well. Um I've been talking with the PySpy maintainer about sort of developing something like that and then having like sharing it between both PySpy and RBSpy so that, that we don't need to build everything twice, right? Um which I think would also be really nice. Cause then when you go to profile your Python program, you use the same tools. Like your tools look the same as the tools that you're looking mm-hmm. where you at when you profile your Ruby program.
0: So does the PySpy thing work in the same way it's written in Rust and just they just changed what structs they're looking at?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the basic design is exactly the same.
0: Yeah. Oh, I gotcha. So you could and, theoretically use this to profile other languages that have an interpreter that's written in C.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Rb Spy and PySpy share share a bunch of code because they're both in Rust. And you could also like you could imagine writing a, a Perl profiler or something, mm-hmm. which shares some of the same libraries. I think that'd be really fun.
2: Although I don't think profiling is the problem in Perl. It's reading your own code that you wrote yesterday. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, mean, I don't know <laughs> yeah let, let, let's let go straight
0: to the yeah
1: i know people who love pearl so Perl is my first programming language i i still i still sort of love pearl <laughs> only positive feelings yeah. about pearl <laughs> yeah, well,
0: to each their own i mean I, I haven't really tried it so i feel like i can't knock it but uh yeah i mean i know people that use all kinds of languages that at first glance, anyway, they, they look kind of crazy. And then you start digging in, and almost every language has something to like, is what I'm finding. Yeah.
2: Hey, I mean, Ruby was inspired by Perl. So, yep. you know, there is that.
0: Definitely. So, if people want to get started with RBSpy, Spy, you know, what do you recommend that they just run it on their machine against some process they're running?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just download it and try it out on your Ruby programs and see what you find out. I think, I think it's so fun to like get this live view of what your program is doing and just look at it, like, um, even if you don't have a problem right now.
0: Yeah, it makes sense.
1: Yeah, and if you're on a Mac, you can just install it with Homebrew, yep. so it's even easier. Cool.
0: Well, anything else we should dive into, folks, before we go to picks? I think we're good. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Is your job search stuck? So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Uh, Dave, do you have some picks for us?
2: Yeah, uh, so two picks. One is woodworking and tool related. It's a bench vise that I recently picked up. Haven't really had much of a need for it yet, but it's always good to have a vice around the house and the second one is a deep freeze. So I recently, you know, got fed up with our freezer in the kitchen just being overloaded with just junk in the freezer that, you know, it's all food that we're going to eat, but it's just, you know, not organized. So we got a deep freeze through it in the garage and we we're able to move a lot of our overstock stuff into there and it's been a night and day difference in the kitchen.
0: Is it a stand up freezer or a chest freezer?
2: It's a Chester, uh, Chester size. You know, it's a tiny one. It costs like a hundred thirty bucks from Costco. So, been pretty happy with it.
0: Yeah, we just upgraded ours. It's funny you're talking about it because I literally moved it (laughs) into the garage yesterday, and uh, I found we have a local classifieds uh, website, KSL Classifieds. Um, I'm sure David's used it, Um, but uh, yeah, I found a freezer, a stand up freezer, on there for free. And uh, so we're, we're moving all of our stuff into the stand up freezer. It's, it's nicer that way because we found that we lose stuff in the bottom of the chest freezer. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we cleaned it out, I think a couple months ago and we were like, Oh, that's a couple of years old. And that's a couple of years, <laughs> old, right? Cause it was just at the bottom and we just didn't see it. So we didn't eat it. So,
2: yeah. Yeah, with mine, I'm planning on building some wood inserts so we can kind of like pull it out and then uh-huh. kind of, you know, have a traying system. But, you know, that's, oh, that's uh a time and effort.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you have time for that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wish. Yep. Sorry, I yep. cut you off. Anything else? No, no, that's it. All right, uh, David, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I have found,
3: uh, well, ha, backstory real fast. So I've had a lot of work lately and, um, and had a moment where I just was fed up and <laughs> hit I-15 and ended up in Montana. And, uh, and there I discovered Ed Leahy. Uh, he's a, a poet and a writer from Butte. Um, he's, he's passed on, but um, I found his books. And oh my goodness, I'm having so much fun with him. And so he wrote, he wrote a book called moving on, or that was his last uh, collection of poems. And he wrote a, a novel called the thin air Gang. And so it's just, uh, the, the reason I pick it is, is, uh, this is a guy that just rolls up his sleeves and, and deals with what's in front of him. And it felt more like programming. And it felt more like real work, like, like the way it feels to sit down and code, you know, here's a guy that, that a lot of people have realized late in his life that he was really brilliant. Um, so I've, I've really enjoyed that. So, um, I've just finished his, um, um, moving on book and, and I'm I'm getting into the thin air gang. just reading that last night and having a great time with this kind of obscure writer that feels good as a coder.
0: Awesome. That sounds really interesting. Um, I'm a little curious about you, uh, getting fed up and driving to Montana. I've, I've I've been get a little burned out, and I'm like, I just want to take off.
3: I'm writing a a long, long form article about that trip. I learned so much, and and it and there's a lot about self care as coders and and in startups that's important to know. So I'm I'll, I'll be writing a very well. It's it's about ten pages long right now, and it's getting lots of revisions. So an important trip. It's important to take care of ourselves.
0: Yep, absolutely. All right, I'm going to step in with a few picks. So lately, I've been playing with some technologies that we started shows on earlier this year. And so I'm just going to kind of shout out about that and some of the interesting things that I've been doing with it. Uh, one of them is Elixir and Phoenix. Uh, you know, people around here probably wouldn't be terribly um, surprised to hear about Elixir. We, it comes up, I swear, like every other show at least mentioned. Um, and uh, yeah, I've really been uh, kind of digging Phoenix uh, though I have spent quite a bit of time banging my head against the wall, how do I do this thing that is so easy in Rails? And uh, it's like, oh, okay, I got to import this library and then I've got to you know, set up these aliases. Oh, there we go. Now, now we're good. Um, but there are definite differences and there are definite things that I'm really enjoying. Um, I also uh, pulled in uh, Vue.js and we have a show on Vue. If you're interested in that, go to devchat.tv or go to viewsonvue.com. Um, but yeah, it's been really fun to pull that in. Um, I decided to just build kind of a simple app, something that would take me you know, a couple hours in Rails. Um, just set that up within uh, Phoenix, just to kind of see how it all comes together. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's an app that essentially I can put in a bunch of inputs and then it'll put them into a graph. And one of our sponsors on three of the JavaScript shows are, is Kendo UI. And so I thought, oh, I'll just pull in their graphing stuff and see how it goes. Um, their graphing stuff has actually been uh, relatively simple to figure out, but uh, getting used to Vue has taken a little bit of... Because uh, I'm I'm pretty used to Angular, and Vue is just different enough for me to have to go and approach it and say, okay, how do I get this? And most of it's bootstrapping stuff. So anyway, I've really been enjoying that. Then there's a, a set of articles that uh, basically tells you how to pull view into um, Elixir because Elixir's asset pipeline isn't written on something like Sprockets. They actually just use Brunch, which is a a builder system sort of like Webpack um, that comes with um, Elixir. And the nice thing about that is that you can swap it out for Webpack if you want. Um, And it's not so tight in that it'll mess you up. But anyway, uh, really been enjoying that. Brunch has been an interesting... Uh, look into how some of these build systems work as well. So, yeah, lots of picks there, I guess. But, uh, yeah, overall, that's been fun. And I'm just going to also shout out about, you know, have a side project and uh, go and explore what some of this stuff is about. Uh, Julia, do you have some picks for us?
1: Sure. So one of them is a book I started reading called Growing a Business. I think it's like an old book from the nineties. It's by this guy named Paul Hawken. Um, and it's been really interesting to read because I mostly read about like starting software businesses. And this is about, it's like not about VC funded businesses. It's about like, it's much more down to earth, right? And it's like, keep control of your growth rate. And it just feels like very common sense oriented. And it's like thinking through things carefully and like how to run a business in a controlled way. And it's been really, it's been really fun to read instead of like, hypergrowth uh software stuff another like i i draw comics about programming a lot um and people ask me all the time what i use um and so i use this app called notability on ipad and it's really great um and it has turned me into an apple evangelist <laughs> like it and the apple pencil have turned me into an apple evangelist even though i never owned an apple product before in my life
0: <laughs> that's funny because uh you said notability and Um, I had the App Store open right behind the Zoom window. And the recommended app that it was showing was Notability for the Mac.
1: It's a good app. (laughs) The Apple pencil is like magic.
0: Yeah, you need an iPad, Dave.
2: No, I have one. It's just not charged. It's one of (laughs) those things where the battery always goes dead on me.
0: Well, I know how that goes because my two-year-old, the only way I can get things done when my wife's gone is to... We got her a little set of headphones. I'll pick that too. We got her a little set of headphones. Um, her, one of her shows she watches on Disney Junior is Doc McStuffins. And so we got her a little, you know, themed headphones are like 10 bucks. And I'll put her on that. And then she will watch literally hours <laughs> of Netflix. <while> I'm,
2: <laughs> I'm a terrible parent. Is that on Netflix now? I have to uh, check. My kids love that show. All three of them.
0: Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the Disney Junior shows are on there. Awesome. And so. Thank you, Chuck. You yeah. found me a babysitter for this weekend. <laughs> yeah, we also have Sling, and so you can watch sort of it it's live TV. It's just streamed over the internet. Um, and one of their chief architects incidentally is my next-door neighbor, but um anyway, it uh it so she'll watch it on there too, but We've had some intermittent problems with Sling, and Netflix will just keep playing. She'll she'll bring me the iPad every hour and a half or so, and you know, Daddy fix it. And it's because it's. Are you still watching? But yeah, other than that, yeah, get lots of stuff done. Well, Julia, if people want to see what you're working on these days, um, I'm assuming you have a blog and Twitter and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, I have a blog. Um, it's at jvns.ca, uh, which I've been writing on for like five years. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at Bork Awesome Well, thank you for coming Thank you so much for having me This was so fun
0: Yeah, it was fun to dive in and see what RV Spy is all about
2: Cool, talk to you all later
0: Yep Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly the world's fastest CDN Deliver your content fast with Cashfly Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more